everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our Big Ten preview on the University of Michigan Wolverines. It's always the show I never want to do, really. But although I think this year is a little bit better just because I think they're not going to be very good. Uh, you have them listed as number nine. Last season, they were 18 and 16 overall, 11 and nine uh, in the Big Ten, 44th in Ken Palm, and they missed the Big Ten tournament. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> the NCAA tournament. They might as well have missed the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Jawan Howard, interesting story. You know, when he came with a lot of accolades because he came from the NBA, of course, you know, the part of the Fab Five and a lot of success and good memories for Michigan basketball fans of him returning. And it was hard to evaluate how he was as a coach. They were fairly successful the first years, couple years. Admittedly, that's a lot of times with John Beeline's players. And then they've, I guess you just, I think it's fair to say they've had just a steady decline since he's been there, um, you know, with various bailouts in some respects that they had a deeper run than expected, like the NCAA tournament making the Sweet 16 for a couple years with teams that weren't that particularly good. Last year, uh, it was a team that was loaded with talent. I mean, there was no question they had a lot of good players. Foremost is his son, Jet, uh, who ended up in the NBA draft. Also, Kobe Bufkin, who was a former Michigan State uh, recruit uh, with Jane Aiken's class. And yet, despite those weapons, and of course, Hunter Dickinson, which we don't ever want to talk about, they were unable to really put it together and be cohesive. And so... That, on top of the other issues that Jawan has, which last year I don't think came to the forefront much as far as his anger issues, but clearly it was a problem you know, the year before when he had got suspension suspension from attacking uh, one of the assistant coaches at Wisconsin uh, in Madison. And the, and the year before that when he threatened to kill uh, Mark Turgeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean... He has some problems personally. I mean, there's no question about that. And we've talked about that extensively that I think he's got some issues that he's not worked through. And I don't, I, that just may just be who he is. And there, we all know people like this. And so it's not, you know, that I think that's just what he is. That's part of his makeup. Uh, and, you know, whether you can overcome that and sort of be successful with an organization is, you know, another thing. Nothing. And if you win, you can get away with a lot of stuff. If you stop winning, then it becomes a problem. And so I think Michigan is maybe at a crossroads. I don't know. Uh, but last year was clearly a disappointment. I think there's, there's every reason to expect that they were going to make the NCAA tournament at a minimum, and they missed, uh, largely because of their loss early to Central Michigan at home, which was a, a bad loss. I mean, that was a bad Central Michigan team. They played a lot of good teams close, but they weren't able to ever beat them. And that was sort of the other part of the, the, the I guess, the knock you might say against Jawan Howard, that there are a number of games they were close in on the Big Ten on the road in Indiana, for instance, and yet they could never close out a game. And I, you know, I, whether that's coaching on some respect, almost it is, whether it's the makeup of the players, I don't know. I mean, but I think, I think there's a lot of things to sort of unpack, sort of to define, to discuss about Michigan's last season and sort of, I guess the overall trajectory of the team going forward. It would be very difficult to not characterize the trajectory current as it currently sits as having gone and in, in, in going in a negative direction. Um, 
you know, they missed the tournament entirely yeah. for the first time since 2014, 2015. And, and that was a year where their chances really to be fair to them got decimated by injury. That wasn't so much poor performance this, this past season, they have no such excuse. Uh, and I think it was what you can look back at it. And in retrospect, I think you can, you can see a totality of things. It wasn't just one thing. Um, I thought their, their offensive play was very inconsistent, which is befitting of a team without guards, without enough guards, without good enough guards, experienced enough guards. And that then gets to roster construction because whose fault is that ultimately? Again, they weren't, they, they could say, well, right. uh, Jaden Llewellyn, who was their transfer from Princeton, that they were going to originally start at the point, was lost for the season. I think it was after eight games due to injury. And oh, so injuries had a factor. Well, Jaden Llewellyn was awful when he was playing for them. He was awful. They actually got better because of that. When Doug yeah. McDaniel, they <laughs> had to kind good, of take yeah. the training wheels off and just turn turn the team over to him because guess what he was the only other guy capable of playing point guard so um they got better because of that not worse and then the defense was spotty it got better at times but it was never consistent and there were particular individuals who were real problems so you put all that together and it just completely overshadowed the fact that, as you mentioned, they had two first-round draft picks and the guy who, when he went to the portal this year and went to Kansas, is generally considered the number one transfer in the country in Dickinson. That's a lot of high-level guys, but I would submit two of those three guys, and this is the problem. You could talk about talent, quote-unquote. What do we really mean? It's not necessarily synonymous with being a winning basketball player. You know, um, Jet Howard is a first round draft pick and Jet Howard can go get you a bucket. He's a capable perimeter shooter, uh, definitely a gifted offensive player. He's was one of the worst defenders in the country among high major players last year. He was awful. And again, when he went through a little bit of an injury thing later in the year, they actually seemed to get a little better overall, because even though they didn't have his shot making on the floor, they at least had guys who gave a defensively hunter dickinson has become a very versatile offensive player he's a good three-point shooter Um, he's always been effective in the post because of his size and skill set but you can't you can't play you're dictated in turn two in terms of how you have to defend when he's on the floor because he just when they then they do occasionally or did occasionally try to vary their coverage and pick and rolls. They would have him hedging. They would have him feathering, trying different things, always miserable at it. Can't guard out on the floor because he is who he is. He can't move. So you got to really play drop coverage, which means you're vulnerable. Um, So this is what I mean by roster construction. You know, it was a team that had a good amount of quote unquote talent, but was a terrible fit together. Um, if you look at how the season unfolded, particular weaknesses, they were a very mediocre shooting team from both two and three. And surprisingly to me, given who Juwan Howard is, a terrible offensive rebounding team. We, we thought Michigan State had problems. These guys were number 266 in the nation. 
And that's with that's with Dickinson on the team, a seven footer. Um, yeah, that's bad. Their defense did improve throughout the year and ended up somehow number forty seven nationally. But when the rubber hit the road early in the season, their defense was terrible. Uh, you mentioned that loss to Central Michigan at home. That was, I think, really that was. You could look back at it and say that's where the NCAA tournament bid was lost. Uh, they also got blown out by Arizona State and then had narrow defeats against Virginia, Kentucky, and North Carolina. So those were games in which they played reasonably well, those last three I mentioned. But as you said, if you can't get over the hump, it's not helping you. Those losses may not have hurt them particularly, but they didn't help. And the fact is they needed some help. Um, So you look at this team, this program now, rather. uh, Jet Howard goes early after his freshman year. Kobe Bufkin leaves after his sophomore year. Hunter Dickinson decides to transfer to Kansas. And they brought a fair amount of transfers in uh, to compensate for that. I think it's probably fair to say that this is a transition year. And I do think you can use the the term crossroad uh, for the Howard tenure. Because it's either, to me... If it's another year like last year in terms of the results, they don't make the tournament. Um, I think it's, I think it becomes harder to believe that there's a turnaround in the offing. You know, it's a, it's an interesting situation at Michigan because, you know, you're you're always led to believe that this is a potential recruiting powerhouse, and at times, in fact, Howard has seemed to recruit that way. He has landed some highly regarded high school players at times since he's been there. But what what really seems to be apparent over the last two years in particular is just reinforcing something that I've believed for as long as I've been paying attention to this stuff. Ultimately, Michigan as a community, as a university, doesn't care very much about basketball. And Part of the way that's reflected is their NIL program. If you listen to people who are supposedly inside or around that program, or you don't even have to listen to them, you can watch the Hunter Dickinson situation and how they lose him to Kansas. Uh, the, The word seems to be that Michigan's NIL program, particularly for basketball, is a train wreck. And I think that's reflective of a general uh, MO in that athletic department. I always, I always go back to this because I, I think the, the lenses people view history through get distorted. Keep in mind, Michigan didn't consistently sell out Chrysler arena when the fab five was there. Right. Think about <laughs> what that means. Think about what that says, you know, and you could say, well, that's 30 years ago. I don't think it's gotten better. So, you know, I was there, unfortunately, a year before last <laughs> at Chrysler for the MSU-Michigan game. And, you know, that a big game. Both teams were still battling to secure safety on the right side of the tournament bubble. Uh, and I was sitting in the, in the uh, upper bowl, and it was at least half empty. These things don't happen at serious basketball schools. They just don't, you know? Right. And... 
And Michigan's not the worst by any means. I'm not saying they don't have any basketball fan base, but it's not serious. It's not serious the way Indiana, Purdue, Michigan State, Illinois, um, even a place like Wisconsin. It's not at that level. They are a football school first and always, and basketball kind of rate second best. So why am I going on and on about this? Well, I think in this era that we're in right now, and God knows how long it will stay this way with all the all the various factors that, that exist in college basketball in 2023, but for right now, I think it's pretty clear this idea that they had when they hired Juwan Howard that he was going to be a killer on the recruiting trail because of who he is is borne out to be false in certainly in an NIL environment. Yeah, he's, I agree. he's just not able to overcome it. Um, and and I think I think that creates a legitimate question. Now, the other thing is, if he actually has a surprisingly good season, you have to begin to wonder, is he agitating to go back to the NBA where he'd been a longtime assistant before taking the Michigan job? You know, there's always that talk out there that he's going to want to try the NBA before he's done. Now, personally, I don't know if he's in a position right now where he's considered to be attractive. He was, he was highly regarded as an assistant at Miami from what I understand. Uh, so he might, had he stayed on that path, he might well have eventually gotten a crack at an NBA head coaching job. Will he be able to, to go that route after what's happened in Michigan? I think it remains to be seen, but yeah, I think it's a, a situation where Michigan might want to say, you know, call time on it. And Juwan might also might, might want to call time on it. So, yeah, right. Uh, it, to me, their whole thing is really in a weird spot right now. And it's hard to see an obvious path that it takes going forward, except to say that I think, I think it's going to be a tough year for them. And while I think they certainly have a chance to get back to the tournament, they don't look like any kind of lock. And so it could be another it could be another very tense February and March for the 14 people in Ann Arbor that care about basketball. There might be two dozen. You'd be, you're being harsh. Um, yeah, I, I would say when I look at the team, you, I, the, as far as Harvard goes, I think the the options for him after the season are interesting because, as you mentioned, you know, he might be looking to get out of town. If they have your success, he might be looking to get out. If he's not successful... As much as Michigan is not a basketball school, they're also not going to sit there on a coach who's um, who's going to have disappointing results, and they're going to there's not going to be some pressure on him. I don't think, barring like losing every game this season, that he's out after this year uh, by the university. Right. right. However, if he has a disappointing season, I think the chance of him coming back the following the year after, if he has another disappointing season, is pretty much zero. I think that there there will be moves to get him out of there because you know we've talked. To, about Michigan not having great tradition, and but you know when you look at their overall success in the NCAA tournament, they they're actually pretty good from a basketball program Very from good. a success standpoint. Yeah, let, let me let me just stop you there for just a second because it's important to to make clear what we're talking about here. They right. are historically they are a very good basketball school. I would I I think when we did that episode, I think I rated them fourth. Yeah, I think in so. the conference behind, behind State IU, and, Michigan yeah. State, Ohio State, but a very close fourth. You could make an argument for third. 
You could also make an argument for fifth, depending upon how you view regular seasons with Purdue. But they're right in there. And nationally, I would say historically, Michigan is without question a top 20 all-time program and arguably top 15. So it's very good. But that, much as is the case with Ohio State, that happens despite Yes. <laughs> what exists there. And and the point is when they run into these periods where they don't have a John B line or they can't cheat the way they did for a lot of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, um, it 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 becomes a problem because there's not the same level of institutional support and right. and the fan base doesn't care as much. You're right. I don't think Jawan Howard has any chance of being fired after this season unless he punches somebody else. But yes. But um, my thing is, it's not even so much about about that aspect of things as what does another rough year do ultimately for his trajectory, however long it lasts. And I think if they have another non-tournament season, it becomes harder and harder to see the path to a turnaround. I totally That's agree. And point. I think that, right. Yeah. And I totally agree. And I think when it comes to him, as far as his career goes, you've got to imagine he's looking to get out. I, I have a hard time believing that he looks at this as his um, f- final job, you know, where he's going to be coaching for another 20 years at Michigan. I, I think he's, he's going to be looking to get out and go back to the NBA. I, I, now that his kids are, his Jace is a senior. That's an important point. Yeah, I think you know it. There's there's less to keep him there. I mean, obviously, if they if he'd had a lot of success and it was an easy, you know, you know, if it was easy for him to get recruits and to get five stars and like all the things that they had hoped, then I think it would be a different, you know, equation for deciding whether you want to stick around or not. Not knowing him, I mean, I obviously yeah. I don't have any inside information, but my hunch is is that he's going to be looking to get out and probably you have to go to assistant coach. It's it's hard to imagine that you have unless you have unbelievable success this year that you find a head coaching job within the NBA, but he certainly can get, I would think an assistant coach and try and work his way back up. Uh, and, and I think the, the real risk for him, I think uh, is that this, the anger things could really come to a forefront this season if they struggle yeah. because he had a difficult year last year. If he's looking to get out or find, you know, good opportunities, the more they struggle, the harder it's going to be to find those opportunities, you know, wherever they might be after the season and he's going to really start feeling that pressure if they if they struggle in on conference schedule maybe early the big 10 schedule what happened at wisconsin i would i would be a little surprised if we don't see manifestations of that again uh sooner i mean i i, I think that is always going to be there for him and uh there didn't seem to be any real contrition or I guess, recognition of what his problems were at least after that wisconsin incident i never got that impression and so I think that's there and I think that's going to be a real a real danger for the for him. And that may be the one thing like you mentioned, that may be the one thing where you could find a mutual parting of ways after this year. That's the only sort of situation where I could see that happening. I think yeah, I think that uh there's there's no question that another incident like that they would have no choice but to fire him. You know, Mich- the, the the word on Michigan has always been the powers that be just just don't want the basketball program to embarrass the university right yeah right that's always been the line and that was embarrassing and another incident would be critically 
embarrassing. So I do think that would have look, it, it, we've we've talked about it for a while now. I guess I have to give him some level of credit that he managed to get through, which is shows you how low the bar is that <laughs> he managed to get through a non-tournament season and not have another incident like that. Of course, he let his team go rogue. He had Hunter Dickinson, who we'll talk about in a minute, um, you know, completely off the rails in terms of what any kind of any kind of behavior off the court. And I don't mean criminal stuff, obviously, but just in general, this was not the kind of guy you want as the focal point of your team, not even close. And I, I we used to talk, I, we talked about it here, talked about it on message boards, blah, blah, blah. I try to envision Tom Izzo having a guy in his program <laughs> behaving the way Hunter Dickinson did on his podcast in interviews on the court at times um, last season. And you can't even fathom it. You can't imagine it because it would never, ever happen. Well, he just, yeah. I never saw Juwan Howard try to rein him in. It never happened. There was never any public comment on any of this stuff, never any disciplinary stuff. And it, and it had a lot to do with sinking his team, in my opinion. Um, you know, he let his son go rogue. You know, his son basically had uh, no limits on the sh on the shots that he took and wasn't required, apparently, to play defense. Because, again, you never saw a pattern where it suggested, hey, he's sitting him because he's not checking anybody. Again, or rebound. Can't even, can't even, <laughs> right, or rebound. Can't even fathom that at Michigan no. State or a lot of other places, not just Michigan State. So, um. Yeah, it's it, it'll be so the, even though he didn't have the blow up, I still think there were issues with Juwan Howard's approach that were troubling. If you were a Michigan fan, you know, in terms of the way he handled last season. But when you've had a guy blow up on a couple of occasions already as a head coach, it does feel like there's an inevitability to this. I, I look at Juwan Howard somewhat the same way I used to look at Dan Dockage when when he was a broadcaster for ESPN. And my feeling with Dockage was that it, it looked very obvious to me that inevitably there was going to be a moment where he just did something that went that step too far there was no coming back from. I, I just felt <laughs> yep. I felt it. It was going to happen. And I said it probably three or four years before his career actually was terminated there, but it did happen. It doesn't make me Nostradamus. I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> felt that way. And I think a lot of people feel that way about Jawan Howard, that you look at it and you think, you know, if he keeps going, if he stays in that job, there just seems to be an inevitability about this, that there's going to be another incident of some type. You can't predict when or where but you can see it as likely. And I do believe that. I think the only question is, does that happen before he leaves for other reasons? But right, right. now, if you're a Michigan basketball fan, I just, I, I don't see anything to be excited about. It's a bad place to be in because you, you had this false dawn of the weird COVID year where they win the big 10 and part because of scheduling um mm -hmm. games they refused to play uh <laughs> and 
and then they go on a bit of a run in the tournament. That's really it, you know, for the Juwan Howard tenure. Um, the first year they probably would have, they were on course to make the tournament, but they weren't set up. Yeah, you know, That was not a great team. And then, you know, they had the weird COVID year, which, you know, I'm inclined to almost kind of write off and pretend didn't happen because it was such weird circumstances. Then, yeah. then two years ago, they, they fought their way into a tournament bid, barely got in and then managed to make the sweet 16. So you'd say, okay, that maybe salvaged the season a bit, but it wasn't a great year. And then last year they miss it entirely. What is there to be excited about in this picture and prospectively? What is there to be excited about? You know, there's, you don't even have the hope that you might have, you had a program that was struggling, but you could see, Hey, there are some young guys here who look like they could really be something, you know, you don't have that. Um, It's yeah. It's just not, if I were a Michigan fan, I would be kind of bummed out because it, it just feels like you're on a bit of a, a treadmill right now and it's not going any place particularly good yeah and to that point too about the fan base i mean michigan fans as we all know you know if we're if you live in the state you run into them all the time they're very excited about the basketball but if the basketball's not going well it's you know just not a point of conversation and you never this hear is, about it this is my point right i mean this is yeah and and you know when you look at the sellout. And so I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, Michigan's had some really bad years in football, not that long ago in the past, you know, Rich Rodriguez where they're <laughs> winning like three games a season, Hulk right? And, they were yeah, ter- yeah. Yeah. They were terrible yet. They're selling out those games. I mean, they're, the stadium is full it, despite how horrible they were. And even when there were any expectations of getting better that season, they still were uh, still a full seat uh, stadium. And to your point, when the basketball team was at its pinnacle, they still weren't even selling out Chrysler, which is not even, you know, what, one-tenth as many seats as you have in the, well, maybe it's a tenth of what you have at the football stadium. So it's just, I mean, there's not, obviously yeah, problem. It, it's, it's, it's what they are. And, and that doesn't, you know, it's sometimes these conversations get, uh, get complicated. Obviously you can, we know, cause it's fact. You can win a national title at Michigan. You can go to Final Fours. You can win Big Tens. You can do anything there is to do in basketball at the University of Michigan. There's enough there. And they should thank God that John Beeline refused to let that administration off the hook and made them invest in some facilities improvements because although they're still, you know, that's a total arms race every year. You got to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. And I'm not sure that Michigan is quite doing that, but they were, they were bottom of the barrel in this conference for a long time. And, you know, there's a famous story about uh, Tommy Amaker having to bring in his own VCR from home to watch tape, which apparently is (laughs) true. You know, things like that. I mean, Chrysler, it's still, I don't think it's still even now a great venue, but it's markedly better than it used to be. That place was, it felt like a dungeon um, before they changed some of the lighting. They, they made uh they made improvements in the concourses. They definitely improved it, but it's just not a place that cares enough about the sport to easily pull out of a death spiral. And, and you can point to yeah. this when you look at what happened between 
the Ed Martin scandal blowing up, and then John Beeline finally getting it turned around. You're talking about a decade of mm-hmm. failure to make the NCAA tournament, or nearly yeah, a decade. That would be an amateur, right? Yeah, yeah be near, an nearly amateur, a terrible. decade. Yeah. And that doesn't happen at places that really care about basketball. I will note, again, Ohio State is kind of their twin in this respect. I have much more disdain from Michigan because I don't give a shit about Ohio State one way or the other. You know, they're another Big Ten school to me. These guys I really don't like. Um, But they're similar. Ohio State has had maybe not quite that long, but they've had periods where they've gotten really bad. Like in a way you can't imagine true basketball schools allowing to happen. Uh, the, The fact of the matter is Michigan and Ohio State succeed to the extent they do in basketball simply as a result of how successful financially, and in Ohio State's case, I would argue on the field more so than Michigan's, how successful their football programs are and the kind of, you know, rising tides, lifting all boats sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's happenstance. It's not because the athletic department prioritizes basketball in any particular way, does things. I mean, I could go chapter and verse on the ways that Michigan State supports its basketball program for obvious reasons. When you have one of the greatest coaches of all time running it, that's what you're going to have to do. And the, and it's a, it's a point of pride for the university. The basketball program is what it is. And so you get that level of success um, and that level of support. Michigan doesn't have that. And, and that's where the danger is for the moment for Michigan is that apathy, which I already feel is kind of there set really starts to set in with another down year. And then you have a choice is a change, which is probably the only thing that's going to shift this. Does a change have to happen or do they let it continue? Historically, they've let it continue for a while past when they should have. I don't know how this one's going to go, but that that's where I feel Michigan basketball is as we enter the fall of 2023. Mm -hmm. It's not in a particularly healthy place. Now, Basketball, as we know, is a sport, maybe unlike football, where things can change on a dime. And so, you know, if they get the right couple players, could that shift things? Yeah, but I, I still think you could see a basic truth here. And I'd also say that Michigan isn't doesn't seem to me to be particularly well positioned to do the kinds of things that would allow for a quick turnaround. Again, I come back to NIL. Right. That can work. But are they going to employ that? Do they have those resources available to the program? I don't think there's any sign that they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look when you look at this point, you want to turn your program around. You've got to either be getting in on top you know, five star or high four star recruits, or you have to be getting high level transfers. And they're not doing either of those things, right? I mean, so that's their problem. I would, I would, I would only amend that in the following way. One of many criticisms you can lob at Howard is the way he's recruited high school players. He has been in on a ton of five-star and high four-star recruits. The problem is he isn't landing them. And the ones that he has landed were not guys. If you go back to Diabate and, and how, uh, uh, Caleb Houston, uh, those guys were not, were not the level of immediate impact player that you hope to get out of a five-star 
you know, they just weren't. Um, they were ranked where they were because of their potential. They were not ranked, but were turned out they were not guys who were immediate impact players. So he hasn't been able to um, actually employ either of those things, either impact freshmen or impact transfers. He's tried, and some have criticized him and said, hey, he ought to be taking more of a page from the John Beeline book and getting guys who maybe aren't necessarily top 10 guys, but they're guys with talent that can be developed over time and become very good basketball players eventually. You know, John Beeline yeah. was um, one of uh, the better talent identifiers we've seen come through with the Big Ten in a long time. Um, that was his strength. Juwan Howard is not – is either – shown one or the other take your pick either an inability to do that or um an unwillingness one or the other yeah all right well Michigan's program starting to look like it's hovering near the gutter and so we'll segue there to talk to you briefly about one response to the show the brothers at just two gutters <laughs> if you need if you need help with your, that was good. With your that was water good. every once in a while no, you I, get a segue I, I really like that was a good one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know you're working with gutters. So there's only so much you can do. But um, so if if you need gutter work done in your house, which we all do, or our business, there's no better people to contact than the brothers at Just You Gutters. They do individualized, personal work. They are efficient. They're quick. They are fully insured. And they have really good pricing. They can do anything you need. So if you need them cleaned out, if you need to put leaf guards on because you don't want to get on a ladder anymore, if you Want to just replace them or repair your gutters that are all messed up and banged by someone, you know, your teenager hit the downspout or something like that. You need that fixed. They're the guys you can do it. So contact them. You won't regret it. They'll get you great pricing. 10% off. You mentioned Final Four uh, on the show. Uh, so you can find them at brothersgutters.com and just search your area. The current sponsors we have are the ones, are Kurt out on the west side of the state, the Grand Rapids area, all the way out to Lakeshore, Saugatuck, Holland, uh, out to Lowell. Or you can go to the southeast side of the state, and Greg and his team will take care of you in all the metro Detroit area. So he's a very big region. He can take care of you anywhere in that area, and you won't regret it. So check out the Brothers Gutters. You can find the contact information in the podcast player below. All right, so let's talk about players who are flushed out of the system. Keep you on to the gutter theory here, or the segue. Uh, we'll start with Hunter Dickinson. <laughs> Every Michigan State fan, and actually probably... Big Ten villain. He was at least he did everything he could to be a villain. The only problem with him is that he wasn't, I guess, dominant enough in some respects. Like an Edie, Edie could certainly have been more of a villain for uh, some of the people worried about. Hunter Dickinson, seventh one. Uh, he was, as you mentioned before, he was rated the top transfer target this off season. Ends up in Kansas, so he's Bill Self's problem now. Uh, he shot 56, 42, and 73, averaging 18 and a half points a game. Almost ten rebounds, so nine rebounds a game, only ten, almost ten a game, and as you mentioned, trouble defensively moving. He had to play drop coverage and uh, improved three point shot. Although he didn't really make it, he didn't really harm Michigan State much in that shot uh, most of the season. So I don't know. I mean, he's a guy who, from all that he does off the court, and I'm guessing locker room. My just my hunch is, and this may just be. A reflection just the Michigan team overall their chemistry is just weird and then I think that's just kind of like for sure they never felt like a cohesive team they never for felt sure. like a team that that knew where they're going and they're all driving the same direction that they're all kind of just have their own agendas uh and that that's sort of how they played basketball and that may not they may maybe that's an unfair 
sort of assessment, but no, I think he definitely totally would do fair. things. I think it's totally fair. Right. <laughs> he definitely did things. This is Dickinson that, that were not helpful to the team, right? Like yep. saying, Hey, we're going to you know pound this team or something. And Arizona state beats them by like 30 or something. I mean, there, there are things that happen <laughs> to that team that are not his fault specifically, but certainly he didn't help <laughs> help in their success. And I think that, that by losing him, this may be, maybe they're better off and I don't, but the fact that they don't have many people coming in, maybe they're worse off because he at least gave them something. Well, I don't know. I have a hard time figuring out what to what to do with him as far as like if I was a Michigan fan, how I feel about him leaving. I agree. I think it's very I think it's very difficult. I think the part that would be frustrating as a Michigan fan is you likely spent three years justifying and defending this clown <laughs> and then he leaves. Um look, he's a he's a confounding player to me because once again, you know, people people talk about this guy as if he is an elite impact player. And I understand why that happens. And in some ways it seems obvious, you know, 18 and a half points a game, 56, 42, 73 had very good shooting numbers, nine rebounds a game. So he was almost a double, double guy. Um, good passer for a big man as well. So all of those things scream great player, but then you look at the other factors. You look at the fact that, he really, really struggles defensively. Now, you can give him one little bit of credit that I think he's managed over time to at least become a credible low post defender. So when he's able to just stay on the blocks to guard, he's okay. He's never been a, a great rim protector. I don't. He never will be, but he's better than he was. The problem is away from the rim. He just and, and it's not even down to him. I don't know that there's much he can do because of his physical limitations. He's so big and his footwork is not great. Um, his foot speed is not great. His lateral movement is not great. So there's not, there's just not much you could do. And the problem is that locks you in to how you have to play defensively when he's on the floor. So it's a limiter in that way. Then we add in, as you mentioned, the off-court presence. You know, it, it it just started to seem like this guy is auditioning. He figures he's not going to be able to play in the NBA, which I think is a lock. He's not going to be an NBA player. He doesn't fit NBA basketball in this era. So right. it almost felt like he was auditioning for a spot in the WWE with his podcast, with his other, you know, you mentioned the thing about the Arizona State game. Um He's made various comments about different fan bases. He shows up to the Wisconsin game coming off the bus in a ski mask. Um, we're going to steal <laughs> a win. That, yeah. I mean, and keep in mind that that place was the site of the incident the year prior with Juwan Howard punching Joe Krabenhoff. So, <laughs> I mean, and the it's you total it all up, and to me. He is the most difficult player I can think of in the college game right now to land firmly on a spot. Is this guy an actual positive or does he just look like a positive, but net he's a negative because of all the other things that come along with him, both on and off the court. I think it will be fascinating to see what happens at Kansas. Now, you know, Bill self is 
not a guy I have any respect for from how I understand he operates from an ethical perspective. I have a great deal of respect for what he is as a basketball coach, however. Yeah. And, and that actually also includes the way he runs his program in terms of the kind of stuff we're talking about that Hunter Dickinson was allowed to get away with. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch, assuming he's doing that stupid ass barstool podcast again this year. Um, if he's doing that again to see how that goes, because unlike at Michigan last year, if he's popping off on that thing, the way he did last season, I just can't even begin to imagine that bill self is going to let that go unchecked one way or another. That's going to get reined in. And, yeah. and so it'll be, in, and bill self is also a much better coach than Juwan Howard. Is he going to be able to better figure out how to utilize Dickinson to max out the positives and minimize the negatives? He's got a better chance certainly, but I just, yeah, it's, he's a, he's a loss for sure for Michigan. In very obvious ways. You don't have that scoring, and he was an effective rebounder as well. But I'm still not 100% convinced that they won't be at least slightly better off because of all the other stuff. It's yeah. I, I know this much, regardless of how this year goes in that respect, um, I think it offers them a chance to reset the program in terms of what's acceptable, what's not, what the standards are, in a way that would have been impossible if he'd come back. If he'd come back with this team, I just it would offer him less help than he had last year. I think he would have been off the rails again, maybe worse. Well, he would have been the the most important player. I'm for, he'd probably be scoring twenty five points a game because they'd have less options, maybe right, and so. Um, you know, the one thing I would say about that, about him and his sort of antics in his podcast, that from a marketing standpoint, it was actually pretty, pretty good because he kept himself in the news and, and you know, sort of like the classic, any, any press is good press for the most part. And I think that helped elevate his standing probably with the transfer market, right? Like had he been just sort of an un, had he not had all this other stuff going on. I don't know that he would have been quite as desirable, as well known and desirable. Now, I don't know. That's just my. I'm going to. I'm going to disagree with that. I mean, I understand the argument you're making, and and certainly I, here's here's what I would say: the notoriety probably meant that he could command more from an NIL perspective. Right. So he might have yeah. made himself some money. I don't disagree with that. Um, I just you know I always think that you know, just make sure they spell my name right school of thought <laughs> with that stuff is way simplistic. I don't think it does. And, and I think we had, we might've had these conversations last year, but there are a rare certain number of guys who can use hatred as fuel. Scott Skiles would yeah, be my right. all time example of this. That guy could soak up the negative energy of 15,000 people and and turn it into 40 points like nobody I've seen in the Big Ten because he took more abuse than anybody I've ever seen in the Big Ten, way more than Dickinson did. Yeah, um, right. Oh, yeah. I never felt that Hunter Dickinson 
was made better by this stuff. In fact, I think it was a little bit of a negative for him. I don't think he reacted well to controversy. And that's true of most people. That's not unique to him. Um, I still think he would have been highly desired just because guys his size who have his skill set offensively are not common. And as we know, despite the way the NBA has changed, you can still win in college basketball with traditional centers. And so I'm not surprised at what that way, but I do think it made him some more money in, in NIL. Now, yeah, it'll be, true. again, it'll be interesting to see how this season unfolds at, at Kansas, where he's going to be subject to a very different kind of regime. Another extension, just one last thing on Dickinson, is when you look at Matt Painter and what he's done with Zach Eady, who has even more limitations in some respects than than Dickinson, that he doesn't have an outside shot, you know, from his offensive right. game and such. Right. That you can coach a guy like that who's very limited what he can do defensively in movement and be very successful and very dominant. And yet that has not been successful at Michigan with Dickinson right. the same way. Right. And it's not like Purdue is littered with three point shooters all over the court and that they've got so much more talent. I mean, in some ways you could almost argue Michigan had way more talent and that this is a real, uh, you know, reflection of the, the failure of Jawan Howard last year, that they weren't able to really put things together and be as least as competitive as Purdue. Again, we, you know, the, these conversations can get so uh, convoluted. Michigan had two NBA players. I'm not sure that Purdue outside of perhaps Edie has any. Yeah. So from right. that perspective, you're right. On the other hand, Purdue had a much better, more complete basketball team. So which matters? Uh, sometimes yeah. I'm more than happy to pick up any club in the vicinity to knock Michigan over the head with. <laughs> but I don't think, I honestly think Michigan pretty much was what they should have been last year. I don't think they underachieved. I don't think they were a team that was put together very well. I, you know, Jet, okay, you can argue, well, there's no excuse for Jet Howard not ever guarding anybody or ever grabbing a rebound. Fair enough. But that is who he is as a basketball player. I don't think it was, wow, we've seen all this great defense from Jet Howard, and all of a sudden he's not playing it. No, that's who he's been. You know, yeah, Hunter Dickinson yeah. was who he's been. All of those guys were who they've been. So I think you you can look back at it in retrospect and I think, see, that Michigan kind of settled in where they should have been. But I, yeah. I do think I do think that it's very likely that somebody like Bill Self is going to be able to do a better job at accentuating the positive, minimizing the negative with Dickinson than was done in Ann Arbor. I think that yeah. much is true. We'll just see to what extent. All right, so we'll move on from Dickinson and hopefully forever. And move on to Jet Howard, who was a freshman, played one season, left the first round of the NBA draft, as we mentioned before, 6'8 forward, averaged 14.2 points a game, 41, 37, and 80 shooting. And I don't know, he averaged, what, 2.8 rebounds a game, which I'm surprised is that much. Uh, so he's, for a guy who's 6'8, uh, a little bit of disappointment. And as you mentioned, defensively, a master just disinterested. I'm not quite sure which it is. Some of some of both, which always I, I said this at times last year, it just shocked me because his dad, who's also his head coach, was a very good defensive player. 
cared about it, knew how to play it, did play it collegiately in the pros. As an assistant in Miami, he was their defensive guy on the staff. That was his role. <laughs> so I, I just could not. It was the weirdest thing you could imagine that his own son is not just not great. He's awful. And you have to wonder how much of it was technique and how much of it was I don't give a shit. I think it was some of both. Um, again, a weird one to sort out the totality of what this means. Offensively, clearly, Jet Howard was a guy who could go get you a bucket. Very good shooter. Not great going off the dribble, but decent. Could do some things that way, too. He wasn't just a, a catch-and-shoot guy. So they're going to miss that. There's, there's, there's no two ways about it. You need to be able to score to win games, right? And these losses yeah. are hitting Michigan in that way. But he was so bad defensively, and it had to be bad for chemistry to see a guy able to play with without having to adhere to any of the standards that other guys would have to adhere to in terms of how they played and an ability to stay on the floor. That you just, I do wonder, well, maybe they'll be a little bit better off even though the loss of offense is obvious. So we'll yeah. see. Well, this is like back to like Dickinson, right? You just hard to know if yeah. what the, you know, uh, and you know, there it's interesting with him too, that there are some players who should play for their parents and others that probably shouldn't. And this right. is probably one, a situation where he'd have been better off anywhere else. Now you could argue, well, he went the, you know, he went first round of the NCAA NBA draft. So I guess it doesn't matter, but I'll tell you, he might, he might have trouble succeeding in the draft, you know, in the NBA afterwards because he just didn't get the skills that he needed in college. In my understanding is Tennessee recruited him very hard and that there was actually some thought given to that. If he had done a year with Rick Barnes, he would be better off today because Rick Barnes would have made him defend. Rick Barnes would have benched his ass when he didn't try to guard somebody. And I think he would have learned some things that he didn't learn at Michigan. But anyway. Well, now, now you have to leave, learn at the next level, which right. might be tough. Right. So next uh, player, Kobe Bufkin, 6'4", a guy who you've always liked. And he was uh, Jaden Aiken's class, uh, but he didn't get injured. And <laughs> that was a big difference between him and Jaden last year, I think. Uh, he ended up averaging 14 points a game on 48, 36, and 85 shooting. And ended up in the first round of the NBA draft as well. So uh, very good for him and a successful career so far in college. Well, it, it really was. If you divide his two years into four components, so half a year each year, he really only had one really good half of a year. But it was really right. good. That's true. And that's what landed him in the lottery um, or the draft, rather. Uh, I really, yeah, I liked him as a high school player. Uh, and I was kind of surprised that he struggled out of the gate at Michigan, but about halfway through last season, he figured it out and his numbers, you know, 14 on 48, 36, 85, they don't even tell the full story because the second half of last season, he was way better than that. Um, yeah. became a very reliable spot up option from three. And he got a lot better going off the dribble and making plays himself. Decent playmaker, not really any kind of a point guard, but pretty good for an off-ball guy. And he, he actually was one of the guys that got that helped them get a little better as a team defensively as the year went on. So 
This one, unlike the first two guys we mentioned, I don't think there's any mitigation to be done here. This is unquestionably a loss because he was their best player down the stretch, not even close in my opinion, in terms of everything that he did. And if, if he'd come back, uh, he would have been set. You know, we'd be talking about potential first team, all American stuff and Michigan's Michigan's outlook as a team would be better because I think he'd be that impactful at a spot where they really need it. You know, they're, they're, they're short on guards as we're going to get into and Buffkin would have changed that that picture pretty dramatically. Well, speaking of guards and departing players, Joey Baker, he was a grad transfer from Duke. He averaged 5.7 points a game on 39, 39, and 69 shooting. And I don't think really ever lived up quite to what people had hoped for. I, defensively, like many of the players we talked about, was a, was a mess. And he just decided to leave basketball. He's not going to use it, or at least college basketball. He's not going to use the COVID year and has gone on to other things. Yeah, a little bit surprising. There seemed to be some suggestion he might come back, but he decided not to. You know, in a way, he did exactly what they brought him in to do. They brought him in to shoot, and he did shoot, and he shot well. You know, 39, 39, 69, pretty solid. Uh, maybe not quite the volume you'd hope for, but part of that was because, right. again, he was so bad defensively that they couldn't afford to play him you, know, you looked at Baker, and he was never a guy because of how bad he was defensively that you could look at and say, look, let's just keep that guy on the floor for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. It, it just wasn't ever going to work. You'd give away more than you'd gain by that. But in the role that he was expected to fill, he actually did an okay job. Uh, so next player would be Isaiah Barnes, 6'6 sophomore from Chicago. He played only in 15 games, never really got into the rotation much, and he is transferred to Tulsa. Yeah, he was a guy they, they talked about as being underrated because he's a very good athlete, um, but it just never came together over his two years and, you know, transferred to Tulsa. That's not that's not bad, certainly. It shows, you know, that that's a decent level, but the fact that he's not going to another high major tells you something. Right. And finally, for departing players, six seven redshirt freshman Greg Glenn barely played last year, just a couple games, and he's now going to be at Tulane. Yep. But, uh, you know, not not the athletic profile of Barnes, but otherwise similar guy they thought might uh, be though they wanted to believe was underrated. He was also uh, buddies with uh, Jet Howard, which was part of the connection there to bring him in. But it didn't work. It's going to Tulane, probably a better fit. Right. And so just a reminder to visit our other sponsor of the show, Nudge Printing. They do fantastic work. They are the ones who provide our gear. So if you want to get our apparel. Our, the logo t-shirt or hoodie, since now it's getting course closer to fall and winter. <laughs> Super wearable, very comfortable, high quality, screen printed products. Their decals are great too. I've got one on my computer as I'm looking at right now as I'm recording this. So Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. Michigan State alums run it. It's all Michigan-based uh, products. You can't go wrong. And if you're listening to the show, you get 20% off your order. And when you check out, again, just Final Four, uh, the coupon code for 20% off. So let's talk about returning players. And we'll begin with Terrace Reed. So he was a backup for Dickinson, 6'10 sophomore. Aside from being in trouble at the free throw line where he shot, uh, I don't even know what the numbers are, 40% or something like that. Uh, that's after he was got hot. Right. <laughs> but he was, um, he was a good player. He played really hard. He averaged only 13 minutes a game. 
but 3.4 points a game, 3.9 rebounds a game, which is impressive considering how little he played sometimes. But he definitely gave teams trouble. I mean, he was uh, he was a little bit athletic and he had good footwork. And he's a guy who you could see getting a lot better, and especially with more minutes to play. I like Paris Reed. He was a guy that MSU recruited, definitely was in on, wanted. Um, and he surprised me with how well he played defensively. This is not a guy who's just a shot blocker, although, in fact, he can give them better rim protection than they've had uh, in the Dickinson era. He can move his feet. He doesn't lock you into playing defense one way um, because of the ability he has to move his feet. You can play all different kinds of pick-and-roll coverage with him. Offensively, I, you know, he wasn't great last year, but I think he's got real potential. I really do. I think, I think in time he can at least be an effective post player. I, I don't know that he'll ever extend, uh, extend the, the floor the way, um, uh, the Dickinson <laughs> did, but right. I do think, I do think this is a guy who could be a very capable offensive player. I think he will be a very good defensive player right away this year because he was good last year he's also a good offensive rebounder if you remember that narrow loss msu took oh, chrysler yeah. terrace reed playing the four really did damage against michigan state on the offensive glass late in that game and and so i i do like his future and this is one of the reasons why i have a hard time coming to firm conclusions about the whole dickinson thing because if dickinson was back reed would be a backup and yes, they'd be better on the offensive end, no question about that. But I don't know for sure if that means they would be worse or better overall, because I think Reed's going to be so much better defensively. It'll yeah. it'll be it, it really the answer to that question largely comes down to how much better is Terrace Reed on offense? Can he at least get on the plus side of fifty percent from the line? Can can he be more assertive and more efficient on the blocks and, and maybe pick up some stuff, you know, as a garbage man, um, it, that's really going to be your answer as to what, where the gap is between last year and this year. And, you know, I'm willing to accept that there's going to be a, a negative for Michigan there. I just don't know how big it will be because I think Reed's got a chance to do some things that Hunter Dickinson could never do. It's not all one way. So next returning player is diminutive Doug McDaniel, the point guard, 5'11 sophomore, who ended up being the starting point guard because of the departure of Frankie Collins to the Arizona State team we talked to before that annihilated Michigan, and also the injury to Jaden Llewellyn, who um, played, like you said, eight games before he was lost the rest of the season. He averaged 8.6 points a game, uh, led the team in assists with a little under four a game, Assisted turnover ratio was pretty good, two and a half to one. Shot okay, actually, 38, 36, and 77. Uh, but was a, a streaky shooter. And so he would have, I think, you know, well, I said he had some air balls and some bad shots in that game in the Breslin, but then, you know, everybody, <laughs> both teams had problems shooting that game. Yeah. Uh, so he, but he definitely was a guy who looked comfortable as a point guard, comfortable running the offense, and someone who looked like he certainly could improve too with his shot. Yeah, I, I do think that he was a pleasant surprise for them. Um, there are weaknesses here, but there are also things that would give you some reason for optimism. 
Uh, the shooting, first and foremost, got a lot better as they went along. I mean, 36% from three. If that's where he settles into for his career, you can live with that. Um, he's got good quickness, and I think that uh, he's going to probably be able to use that even more effectively for his own offense and also to set up teammates. Because it, it, Although his numbers were good, the two-and-a-half-to-one ratio is really good for a freshman especially. Yeah. But I think if you watched him last year, I, I still felt like I was watching a freshman because he didn't always make the optimal decision. It might not have resulted in a turnover, per se, but I didn't feel like he made his teammates better at quite the level you want a point guard to uh, to be able to do. But again, um, there's potential here, and I think he's going to get better. Where he really needs to make strides is on defense. Now, his lack of size at 5'11", kind of is a limiter in some ways because it, it makes you vulnerable mm -hmm. to, you know, if he's matched up with Michigan state, let's say, and he's got a guard, AJ Hogard. Well, there's not a lot he can do about certain things in that matchup. Right. But, um, he's got to at least be able to get steady and allow his quickness and his aggressiveness perhaps to make an impact. So, uh, we will, we will see how it goes, but, I think they've got to feel reasonably okay about his future. You know, these first two guys we mentioned are really the biggest reasons to feel any kind of optimism at Michigan because they're sophomores. Uh, but God help them if Doug gets hurt. God help them. <laughs> yeah. Because he's it. They definitely don't have a lot of depth. Yeah, he's they don't it. have much depth there at all. Now, you know, if you were Brad Underwood, you'd feel good that you actually had one point guard instead of zero <laughs> but you know it's well, still a problem at least brad could say hey rod has me ahead of michigan and they're ranked ninth he thinks they're gonna be ninth in the big 10 so i'm you know i might have a point guard but he has him up there uh so let's talk about next player returning is terrence williams six six senior average 6.1 points a game 5.9 rebounds a game started 26 games shot 39 25 and 75 so <laughs> a reflection of the poor outside shooting from michigan there and uh, I guess, you know, the, the question with him is, is he is he going to remain a starter or is there other plans for other things for him, I guess, within the Michigan program? Yeah, I, I don't think it looks good for him because they've <laughs> added. Well, they've added three guys in the portal, all of whom are going to be in their rotation, it would seem, um, who can play the four. And that is by far the most natural position he has. Now, if they're going to try and play him at the three on the wing, I don't think that's, I don't think that says good things about Michigan. Not if you're shooting 25% from three. <laughs> they might have to because they're so short on perimeter guys. But the way I look at this, at this movement with their roster is they're kind of recruiting over or past Terrence Williams. It feels more to me like his time as a major part of the rotation might be in the rearview mirror. It's not to say he won't play at all, but I, I think what they, where they've landed and there's, it's not an unreasonable conclusion to reach is that uh, he's kind of shown them who he is and who he is, is not quite good enough to get that team where they want to go. Uh, when they brought right. him in, they thought that 
he was going to be sort of a jack-of-all-trades guy. And he's been that to some degree, just not good enough in that way. Yeah, just kind of average middling in everything. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is a problem. Rather than good in everything. Yeah, exactly. Next returning player, Jaden Llewellyn, back from injury. 6'2", Princeton transfer guard. He was the one who brought who was brought in to run the team last year, got hurt after eight games, like you mentioned. Uh, and so I, I guess he's maybe going to play point guard as a backup, certainly, but whether he's the plays the two, not quite clear. I mean, he, he was otherwise not great, so you can't ima- imagine he's not like a big scoring threat. He's averaged seven points a game in limited action, obviously, with 31, 19, and 68 shooting. Yeah. So uh, it's, I guess it's going to be hard. For, I mean, for one thing, how's he recovered fully from the there's injury? A, That's one question. Thing. There's a big thing. And then there's, uh, and then there's you know, what, what is his role going forward? I mean, you could almost imagine him not playing much at all. In some, except that they just don't have that many bodies. I, right. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I think if he can play, he will out of necessity, uh, unless some really weird things happen. But, um, I my understanding is he's not yet still full go, and so I have seen speculation, and that's all it is right now that they don't honestly think he'll be able to get back on the court until maybe the beginning of the new year. So, oh, that's so that's January. Right. And then at that point, it's like, well, how much is this guy going to help? He's been out for more than a year. He was, he's struggling before he got hurt. You know, what does that tell you? I, I just think I, I always felt after they got him last year that this was a mistake. Um, Juwan has managed, had managed to skate by with portal recruiting at the point. So he had that, that first year he had still had Xavier Simpson. Then he brought right. in, uh, what was his name? Mike, uh, Mike Smith, the Smith, transfer yeah. from Columbia, who was shockingly good, much, much better, much, much more efficient than he'd been as an Ivy league player which was a very pleasant surprise. It was a real key to that team being as good as they were. Then the next year, Devontae Jones really struggled in the beginning, eventually became a useful player, not a great one. Um, and meanwhile, he couldn't hold on to high school guards. You know, he had, he had yeah, Frankie right. Collins, played a year, showed some promise, then he left. Left, ironically, when they signed Llewellyn. That seemed to yeah, be a right. direct relationship. <laughs> they they signed Llewellyn. And he hit the portal, I think it was like the next day or a day after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that cost them. Now they've got Doug McDaniel, who actually looks like he could be a long-term answer at that position. And it's it's not as critical. But the Llewellyn thing never made sense to me. I, I talked to a friend of mine about him who was an Ivy League guy. He's a parent of a, a player at another Ivy League school. So he had seen quite a bit of Llewellyn. And I asked him, is this guy really a point guard? Because Michigan is claiming he's going to be their point guard. And it doesn't look to me like that's what he did at Princeton. He said, yeah, no way. So, and, <laughs> and it wasn't, he wasn't. I mean, when you saw him play, the 19% from three is really bad. Yeah, but he wasn't any kind of a point guard. He wasn't, he wasn't making people better. He wasn't really dynamic in any way. The best you could say is, well, he got him in the sets, kind of. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, so... Lots of question marks with Jaden Llewellyn. 
Is he healthy enough to play? If he is healthy enough to play, how much does he help them? Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's interesting, too, when you look at this this team now from the guard position, it, it's uh, this is, I guess, a really a real sign that you have to re- you have to recruit point guards too. I think, you know, yeah, you can get one in the portal, but look at this from the from the, what happened in Michigan last year. And this is something you can imagine. A lot of times, the point guard is in many ways running the team, obviously. And so now, let's say Michigan goes out and they want to find a backup to Doug McDaniel. Well, what kind of backup point guard are you going to be able to get in a transfer portal? Probably not a very good one, is my guess, because there gonna be opportunities. Other places are going to let you, you know, get a lot more minutes. And so I think it's going to be hard. I think that's where you have to recruit point guards in many respects because and then if you get someone who's really good well then now your current starting point guard is going to want to you know going to be encouraged to leave too i agree with that it's it's kind of it's the closest basketball has or cor- as a corollary to the quarterback position in football right now what you yep. really should be trying to do is you really should be trying to do what tom Izzo has done and some other coaches have done where they've got multiple guys who can handle the position at any one time you know that's the ideal i think you can find guys in the portal to play that role but the question is going to be how much is the juice worth the squeeze are you getting a guy who's better in that role as a backup than what you could have if you simply recruited another freshman right and work to develop him and then you might have a longer term answer right it's tough all right, so 6'6 Senior, another one of children's of Jawan Howard is Jace Howard. He's the older and less talented than his brother. He averaged only 1.2 points a game and a little under one rebound a game in only eight minutes. I got into 60 games. He shot 36, 41, and 46, obviously in very low uh, volume, but was a pretty good defender and uh, brought some energy and the things that his brother didn't bring. Yeah, they're polar opposites as players. And it goes to show you that you don't need quote unquote talent to be effective defensively. You need some other things, but uh, yeah, he's a, you know, limited rotation guy, but he'll be in there. Um, If they had a better team, you'd feel even better about him because you say, okay, this is a guy who's can, can really be helpful in, in a limited role for us, you know? Um, So I, uh, I don't know. Not a difference maker because of the nature <laughs> yeah. of that team, but you know, he's not a negative for them in my view. But certainly one of the last Howard kids. And so, you know, again, this is the trajectory it. of Jawan Howard, you know, yeah, well, who knows that, that, that affects things. Uh, next is Will Cheddar, six, eight junior, uh, became a rotation guy, averaged 2.3 points a game and 1.4 rebounds a game shot 49, 25 and 59. Uh, he's a guy who I think the, thought he was a lot better than he was and that was always my impression of watching him play and i just i'll never forget the guy who was sitting next to us at the michigan game last season at present and that guy was so funny making fun of will cheddar but anyway uh because he had a he really struggled in that game but a guy who i don't know i mean he's there <laughs> well i think that with some of their some of their what they opted to do in the portal his path to a major role has de- has gotten tougher, um, particularly with a recent addition they made. I think it's harder to imagine Cheddar playing maybe even as big a role as he did last year because they just seem to have more bodies at the four and the five, which are really the only positions he could play. 
you know, it's that there's certain things you like about him. He, he seems to have a decent understanding of the game and he plays hard. So you give him credit for that stuff, but he was supposed to be a dangerous shooter, like a real stretch guy coming out of high school. And that's just been totally MIA the first two years. Yeah. He also is not very gifted athletically, which means he struggles a lot guarding in space. So there are real limitations here. I can understand why Michigan opted to add some other guys rather than stand pat and have him playing, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night. It, it made sense. It was the right move, but um, we will, we will see how it, how it checks out for him. But right now I see him as a, a deep bench guy, maybe even mostly out of the rotation. We'll just have to see. All right, the final returning player is Yusuf Kayat. He was a much ballyhooed 6'9 sophomore from Lebanon. He was going to be a, a fantastic addition to the team, but he really didn't get much playing time. He only played nine games, shot 33% from the floor, 44% from three, uh, didn't even attempt a free throw. So, uh, you know, is he, going to be, is he going to be the wing they need? It, I guess that's, uh, you know, what are the question marks coming into the season? Yeah, and they need him to be. Oh, do they need him to be? You know, because right now, as I look at it, you basically got three guys who could, because they haven't added another guard in the portal. It's something we didn't talk about at the outset. There was a period of time they had Caleb Love from North Carolina committed to them in the portal. Forgot about that. And he ended up not, there were admissions issues. They haven't, they haven't replaced him. And we're recording this at a point where it seems unlikely that they're going to be able to add anyone. So I think it's one of Kaya, Terrence Williams, or another kid we'll talk about in a few minutes, George Washington the third, a freshman. You know, Kaya, they thought was a real steal late in the process. <clears throat> played um played for the Lebanese national team. Uh and they thought he might be able to help last year when they got him. You know, there was a lot of talk about oh, this could be another Franz Wagner type. Not the case. He only managed to play in nine games. He shot well from three, but really limited volume, limited playing time, clearly only playing in nine games. So he's going to get every chance to play because they need it. And if he could play and could be decent, well, having that kind of size on the wing at six, nine would really be helpful. I just, I just don't have any clue what they've got in him. And last season would suggest that it's going to be a longer road to developing into a guy who can actually help them than maybe they'd assumed initially. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how yeah. it, how it ends up. But I think he's got to get every chance to play more or less because they don't have a choice. Right. <laughs> it's tough when you have a choice. Uh, but one thing you do have a choice at is you can support the show. There are all kinds of different ways of things you can do to help the show grow organically by sharing it out. If you've stumbled upon the show and you're interested in Michigan State basketball, make sure you hit the subscribe button on the podcast player you're listening to or add it to your list on Spotify. Uh, you can also s- support the show financially either by having putting ads on and advertising in front of rabid Spartan fans. You can get a hold of me at eric at tiffnots.com for that opportunity. Or you can head over to our support page at tiffnots.com slash support. There you can find ways to giving one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo or recurring gifts through Substack and Patreon uh, on a monthly basis. And you'll be entered into a monthly 
a monthly drawing to win free gear at Nudge Printing. All right, so let's talk about newcomers. The one everyone was talking about, Olivier Nakamoa. Nakamoa. 6'9", grad. Yeah, six nine grad transfer from Tennessee. Uh, he was the one, aside from Caleb Love, they were really excited about. Who Caleb, of course, not there. Uh, he started every game for the Volunteers last year. He averaged 10.8 points a game and free up five rebounds a game. Shot 51, 33, and 70. So almost certainly he's going to be a big, important piece of their team going forward. Yeah, this was a big, big get for them. They needed they needed somebody like this desperately. The four was a problem all year long last year. Kamoa is coming from a very disciplined program in Tennessee. He reflects what Rick Barnes tends to value because he's really good defensively. And I think, you know, when you're talking about a combination at the four and the five of Kamoa and, and Terrace Reed as compared to what they had a lot of last year which was Jet Howard and Hunter Dickinson. Um, it's a huge upgrade defensively. Mm-hmm. Now he's playing in um, the, uh, God, what is it? Is it the World Cup, World Championships? The International oh, yeah, Basketball FIBA, yeah, FIBA yeah. Uh, this summer and for Finland. And he's played very well. He's had a couple of very good games. Um, and that's, you know, high level competition. So no surprise in that. And, and also no surprise. It won't be surprising rather if he's very good for Michigan, he's going to be a focal point. I think that's one of the reasons he might've opted to move on is that at Tennessee, he was kind of locked into a role of an important player, certainly, but a support guy. So you look at that tournament run last year that he had, um, they played Duke in the round of 32 beat Duke and he had a huge game, 27 points and five boards. But then you look at the next game, sweet 16, where they lost to FAU. He had six points and four boards. And that was kind of the story of his career at Tennessee, both in terms of his utilization and his actual play and efficiency on offense. You know, he's, he's got the potential to be a stretch guy. But he's not a great, we're not talking about Joey Hauser. He's a decent yeah. shooter. Um, but they, look, there, there's there's definitely enough here that if you were to tell me, hey, at the end of the season, you're going to look up and Kamua is going to have averaged, you know, 15 and 8, I wouldn't be surprised. He's going to have to play a big role for Michigan, and I think he will. And at a minimum, as I say, I really like, what he brings to this team defensively because it's something they sorely needed. Well, the next one is also a fairly well-known prospect to six, five wing transfer from Alabama, Namari Burnett. He also played at Texas tech and was a McDonald's all American. He averaged 5.6 points a game for the, for, uh, uh, for Alabama shooting 37, 32 and 78. So I, you know, I think he's probably not quite lived up to the billing, which is obviously one of the, struggles of being a, a McDonald's All-American sometimes you you're not what people hoped you'd been you were going to become correct and and that and that doesn't I think you have to you know some sometimes we have situations where guys who were McDonald's All-Americans five stars what have you um don't live up to that hype and people don't reorient their expectations or they consider them a bust or what have you 
I don't think Namari Burnett has been a bust. He hasn't been the offensive player that people expected him to be. And I think given that he's a senior, it's unlikely that he ever will be. Right. But what he is, is a very, very strong and versatile perimeter defender. And he's a guy who can chip in on offense. So you have to, to me, it does you no good. Think about, well, he was a McDonald's All-American. Okay, well, clearly that that had it wrong. That conclusion was incorrect. He's not the kind of offensive guy that you would expect for from someone who has that kind of designation, right? But yeah. he still can be a valuable player. And Michigan desperately needed perimeter help. He will be a starter on the wing from day one. And he too, like Kamua, will likely get to play a more important offensive role than he would have had he stayed at Alabama. I'm not sure how good his efficiency is going to be, how much better it will be than it's been at his previous stops. I actually don't have very high expectations that that'll be the case. But Michigan so desperately needs scoring and they need you know everything offensively that he's going to get shots. But where he, again, like Kamua, where he really helps him is on defense. You you talk about three new starters in the lineup, Burnett, uh, Kamua, and Terrace Reed. And what they all share in common is they are all very good defensive players. So I think if you're paying attention to this, you can see where we're going with, yeah, with this Michigan right. program. And you certainly gives you an opportunity to win if you play good defense, you're at least in games. So next newcomer, Trey Jackson, 6'10", sought transfer from Seton Hall, started at Missouri, originally from Detroit. He averaged 6.5 points a game and 2.2 rebounds a game, shooting 47, 38, and 70. Yeah, and, and he had then, after Missouri, transferred to Seton Hall, as you mentioned. Uh, they had a coaching change. Uh, Kevin Willard went to Maryland. Shaheen Holloway came in from St. Peter's to coach at his alma mater, and his role got reduced. Uh, He only played 15 minutes a game for a team that didn't make the tournament. But Jackson is a guy who I think they believe will play at the four and maybe even the three. He's another candidate to play the wing. I personally think that'll be a disaster. 6-10 at the wing? Yeah, and he's not, he's not, you know, there, there are the occasional, there's the occasional 6'10 guy, you know, Kevin Durant, seven feet in actuality, who could handle that, that this is not Kevin Durant. So I think that would be a mistake, <laughs> but they may have no choice. I don't know. Um, but Jackson's a guy who's going to be in the rotation. You know, he can, he can stretch the floor a little bit. They think at least as a post defender, he can be a decent post defender. I'm not sure I want to see him guarding wings, but we'll see. Uh, but expect him to be firmly in the rotation somewhere. I would tend to think as a post reserve, most likely. Uh, next player is George Washington, third from Ohio, 6'3". Um, more of a shooter than a ball handler, but you know, when going through this roster, you can definitely see the big, big gaping hole, as you mentioned before. There aren't many guards in this team. I mean, they, they, so this he's going to be handling the ball at some on some level, you imagine. He's the only other guy who you can even imagine running offense. I mean, I guess if, if they, well, Llewellyn, obviously, if he's healthy. Um, well, sure. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's an interesting kid. He originally committed to Ohio State, then decommitted. And my understanding was uh, that was a mutual decision. That was not um, 
that was not a case where Ohio State was really crushed to lose him. Um, back end top one hundred guy, or, or in many in many uh services, actually a little outside of the top one hundred. Um, you know they think he's got potential to develop into a shooter over time, but he's in high school and AAU he's displayed some inconsistency. I think he's almost got to be in the rotation just because of the lack of guards, but uh, I don't know how much. I don't know that it's going to be a particularly big role that I would expect him to be in, unless he really surprises in terms of how ready he is. And I've heard nothing suggesting that there have been signs of that over the summer. I think he's he's kind of where they thought he would be. Um, I've seen people compare him favorably uh, to Eli Brooks, and if they could get that much out of him, they'd be very happy. But yeah, that's pretty good. But remember, it took Eli Brooks, you know, at least a couple years to yeah, really become right. any kind of consistently positive presence in the rotation for Michigan. So um, it could be tough. Final newcomer and late newcomer, Lee Alia, 6'9", big from Argentina. He averaging 17-9 and nine with two blocks a game at that under-19 FIBA World Cup. So, you know, but he has a probably not a great shooter. <laughs> he shot eight for 26 at the line in that tournament. So, you know, but again, this team just needs bodies and they need options. This was, this was an interesting one because he was not on anybody's radar. He played very well at the under 19 world cup and that got him on everybody's radar. He had something like, I think I read something like 50 scholarship offers and Michigan actually beat some other high majors. I believe UConn offered him, and I'm, I'm forgetting some others, but there were some legitimate offers for Aaliyah. So he was one of these guys that you know, came out of nowhere, so to speak, and rapidly, because of the level he played at in that tournament, uh, started accumulating legitimate offers. I think there are some things to like here. He, he seems to be capable of giving Michigan – a um a rim protection element that I'm not sure they have with anybody else. I think Reed can be good there, but this kid may be a level better. And he they like his athleticism. He seems to be someone who has the potential to play well in space. So he could be a good pick and roll defensive option. Uh decent rebounder. He actually shot okay from three in very limited volume in that tournament. But when I see eight for 26 at the line, I'm not buying it. So I think <laughs> you, you can't expect major production as a shooter for sure. I think he's going to be in their rotation. The question is how large is the role going to be? Is it 12 minutes a night? Is it 18, 20? I think that depends on a lot of factors, obviously, but you know, a, a nice pickup in the sense that they could use another option. And now you look at it, and with he and Jackson as backups and Reed and Kemua as the starters, that has the look of a decent post-rotation, pretty solid. You know, you got a mix of a little bit of proven production and some potential. Well, and so then when we look at overall for this team, you mentioned before, and it's glaring is the what's, what's going on in the guard position uh, with point guard. Yeah. You've got... McDaniel, who's good, but is this guy going to wear down over the year? I mean, can he play 37 minutes <laughs> and be as effective as he was 
last year? I mean, that's got to be the biggest concern. I mean, obviously injuries would be devastating, as you mentioned. There's just nobody in reserve for him. But, uh, you know, to try and evaluate this team, it's tough, right? Because there's yeah. so much that left and all these new pieces coming in. Are they going to gel? Is is Howard the right guy to get these guys to gel? I mean, I, there, I think a lot of a lot of questions, just like we've had in the previous teams we talked about. For sure. Very difficult team to evaluate. I, I do think that I will be shocked if they are not markedly better on the defensive end. And in fact, if they're not, you could just right now book it. They're not making the tournament, and they're probably not on the plus side of 500 overall. Definitely in the league if they're not much, much better defensively. But the thing is, I think they will be. It's it's just hard to imagine adding guys like Kamoa and Burnett and even Aaliyah, I guess, to some extent. And then a guy like Terrace Reed playing a bigger role than he played last year and the team not being significantly better on the defensive end. They're going to have to win ugly because I look at this team offensively. Yeah. And, you know, Kamua is the only guy who was a double-digit scorer at the collegiate level last year, and he scored just under 11 a game. That's not huge production. And <laughs> it's when I look at this team, again, unless they have some major surprises, that's the biggest issue is where is the scoring going to come from with this group? You know, it's, it's all – fine and dandy to say well we're going to guard people we're going to be good defensively we're going to be gritty that's all that's all great and you can have some success playing that way if you do it well enough but at the end of the day if you want to be good you got to be able to score some points and that's where i see the question marks now you know if doug mcdaniel is much better in terms of creating for teammates well maybe he's a guy who can help make teammates better but that's asking for a lot and even if he is making the right plays, you still got to have guys that can cash those opportunities in. The biggest offensive issue that I see is I don't know where the shooting comes from, from deep. I mean, Kabua was a 33% guy, which is okay, but that's not exactly carrying a team. And <laughs> he's about the best. Burnett's never been a shooter. You know, McDaniel was solid as a freshman. Can he take another step? though they'd love him to uh terrace reed i don't think is going to be a perimeter shooter you know they just you look at it and they lost a lot in that respect i mean basically when you look at howard and uh buffkin and even joey baker and dickinson those were their four best shooters by a considerable margin they're all gone so yeah and there's not a lot of obvious directions where you see that being replaced so to me it's going to be win ugly that's what's on the table for michigan they are going to have to go out and win a lot of games 60 to 57 i was going to ask you if they're playing the 60s this or, or 50s they're going to have to <laughs> because i i just don't see how they generate enough offense to win any other way so that would seem to be how things would would play out for them. Now, can they win enough playing that way to be a tournament team? I think the answer is yes, they could. And is this team, do they have a chance to actually be better than they were last season? Which, by definition, would mean they make the tournament. Again, I would say yes, it's possible. 
they are in a group with several of these teams we've been talking about, Northwestern, Rutgers, the next team we'll talk about. There's a group of about four or five that I see, although they're they're very different in terms of their personnel, their strengths and weaknesses, when I look at the the bigger picture, the number of questions they have versus the number of apparent answers, they all look very similar. Yeah. So it's hard to know. I'm giving Michigan a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Could have easily picked Rutgers ahead of them. Could have easily picked Northwestern ahead of them. And in fact, maybe I'll be made to, to regret this choice because the one edge those two teams have over Michigan for sure is I think they've got much better backcourts. And generally speaking, guard play is where you win and lose in college basketball. Mm-hmm. But I'm giving Michigan the better for the doubt because I do think they're going to be much, much better defensively. And I think that puts them where I've got them in, in ninth. Now, that if that's where they finish, and in fact, their resume is the ninth best in this league, which doesn't always equate to the same thing if you get my drift. Um, yeah. Then that probably means they're they're a bubble team. And and I think that's where I expect it to be. I expect that when we get to the middle of February, we're talking about Michigan as a very iffy proposition for the tournament, but one that would still have a chance. Yeah, and I wonder, I, I guess the, the question for them, I suppose, is important thing is that they don't have the big blow-up games like they did last year. I think they play in the uh, battle for Atlantis, and so I think you'll have a, probably a, a decent idea what this team is. Uh, looking otherwise, they are. Um, just look at their schedule real quick. They're play UNC Asheville, Youngstown State. They play at St. John's. Those are two they good teams, be- actually. And and St. John's with Rick Pitino, I think, is going to be noticeably better. They they host Long Beach State, and then they they take on Memphis to open the battle for Atlantis. Yeah, they they're they're definitely. You're right. We're going to know some things pretty quickly i think about where michigan sits that's not an easy non-conference schedule there's some of those mid-majors are actually pretty good teams as i say i think st john's is going to be better uh, battle for atlantis they're going to get tested right away i mean memphis is yep. about, that's actually a really interesting matchup because you have penny hardaway against juan <laughs> howard Woo! yeah and the second round they're playing either arkansas or stanford and then, yeah. interestingly, so then they go to Oregon and play in Eugene. Then they host Eastern Michigan. Then they go uh, play Florida in North Carolina. Yeah. And they host McNeese State. I, they're actually, it's a pretty it's a pretty tough non-conference schedule for them. There's some challenging games there. And, uh, you know, I would say that uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they're sitting there looking at three or four losses uh, by the time, you know, conference play settles back in. But, um well, you know, some opportunities perhaps as well. Uh, well, that's always what goes hand in hand, right? right? I think it, look, I think the, the bottom line is, I think it's going to be a struggle, but I think there's enough here to suggest that if if some questions get answered positively, if they manage to squeeze out a little better offense than it looks like right now, um, they can be a tournament team again. I don't rule that out. It's just no kind of lock. Yeah. All right, well, we've gone kind of long, so because it is Michigan, <laughs> there's always a lot to talk about, especially with the way their program is going right now. Uh, so again, reminder, if you've not yet subscribed, make sure you subscribe to your podcast player. You can enter for the Beat Rod Contest, where you 
try and predict the Big Ten standings one through fourteen. No chance. Send, yeah, because <laughs> these are locks, just like last year, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good uh, God. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you were off a little bit last year, but uh, I don't think anyone had Northwestern as number two. In fact, I think it's probably safe to say that there is nobody with maybe not even Northwestern fans. The you know seven of them were thinking Northwestern would be number two in the conference. Uh, so you can send your Entries into Eric at TFFINOTS.com. Again, 1 through 14, your name and the amount of points that Michigan State scores against Michigan as a tiebreaker for the year. And we had a use of tiebreaker last year. Prizes, of course, are Nudge Printing gift cards, which are awesome. And so you can use those. Again, free shipping at Nudge Printing. Check out the brothers at Just Two Gutters. And until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go Green. <laughs>